our Father, indeed, so many of us have brought in here this morning that, that very desire, the desire to know you to know you more, to uh, trust you better, to understand your mercies afresh, and to serve you with all that we are. We bring that with us this morning, O oh God, and pray that you will uh, be pleased in heaven, that you will take these desires and turn them into things that are more than simply desires and make them into something that changes our lives, that alters our schedules, that, pre that reprioritizes our lives, that we could be people who are indeed more intentioned about our desire to follow you, to chase after you, and to be conformed to your image. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the, the emphases of the past week and weekend. We do uh, want to see our, our homes, our marriages, our families, we want to see them flourish. We want to see wives so treated with such reverence, with such, with such patience. And Father, we want our husbands to be um, men who are setting the pace, who are leading in such a way that the family realizes very clearly what the priorities and the value system of the home is. We want our children to understand that they are to honor their parents so that their days might be long on this earth. And Father, help us as a church to emphasize a, a right with accuracy and loyalty and fidelity those themes that would enhance marriages and families. Oh God, we, we pray for those in our, in our membership who are who are struggling physically right now, Father, we, we know that there are many in this room that face some pretty serious stuff. And I pray that you will sustain them and remind them that you have promised that all things work together for good to them that love you and are the called according to your purpose. Our Father, we pray for our nation as she is um, seemingly cut loose from any kind of moral standard. And I pray that you will somehow convince the populace of this country that in morality, a biblical morality is to be found our safety. All else will lead us to destruction. I pray for our president and pray that you will give him the kind of courage that is necessary to stand for righteousness. Father, we, um, we offer our gifts as small as they may be. We offer them from hearts that are grateful. We are people who understand that you have indeed met our needs. Our debt is because we wanted to have more than our needs. And so we offer to the God who has given us the ability to make wealth, sacrifices of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And we pray, O oh God, that more and more we'll find that you can be trusted with our financial future. We commit ourselves to that. And we do so in Jesus' name. We found it's the first book in the Bible in the fourth chapter. While you're finding that, let me say one other thing about uh, the, the study in um, Judges. I do want to clarify something that I said two weeks ago, and I, I'm sure you don't even remember it. Um, but I have had three people stop me and ask me about it. And I thought, well, if three people stopped me, maybe others were confused or maybe I misled uh, them um, then. It was, it was in our discussion about fleeces and finding the will of God. And I... I said something that I would like to uh, at least modify in terms of um, the, the fundamental principles I want, to, want you to consider and think through, and uh, hopefully they'll be helpful to you. But um, 
for instance, we were in the subject of whether, who we're going to marry, where we're going to go to school, and what job, and, and you may recall all that. I hope you do. Um, and my emphasis was upon your response to, your character in those decisions. And, and I stand by that with, with great firmness. But I did not want you to think that God does not care about your decisions because he does care for you. But the, but the point I hopefully want to make is that the choice that you make concerning those issues doesn't compare to the character that you display once those decisions are made. That's the point that I want you to remember. It is that God is concerned about our character and he has outlined uh, his will on those subjects in this book. I hope that's helpful. Now, to the book of Genesis, um, I want to, as I said, speak to you about worship. <clears throat> and it seems like a good place to start when we're going to talk about worship is to go to the place which is the first recorded incident of worship in the Bible. The first place where you see worship going on is in Genesis chapter 4. And I want to read you the first five verses of Genesis, excuse me, the first five, yeah, first five verses of Genesis 4. Here we go. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Now, gang, I'm going to do something this morning, and perhaps suggest it in the title. I don't know whether you um, uh, saw the title, but I'm going to do something this morning that's going to demand that you stay with me. I am going to uh, compare and contrast the worship that you find uh, taking place here with Cain and Abel to the, to the worship that you find going on primarily uh, today, what I'm calling modern worship. And I'm, um, I'm describing it really in a metaphor, in a somewhat parabolic language. I'm uh, going to use Jack and Jill. That is, the way that the modern worships, I'm, I'm calling Jack and Jill and how they worship. So I'm going to compare and contrast how Jack and Jill worships <coughs> today with what you see going on with Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So we're going to bounce back and forth, and I, and I hope that you, they will be very illustrative of, um, of the difference that we find going on today as opposed to what you find going on here in this first instance of worship. Now... We all know in this story, we know a little bit about this story about Cain and Abel, and we all know uh, that Cain brought the wrong offering. And as a result, that set in motion a series of events that led to the murder of his brother. We all know that Cain brought the wrong thing. But both of them, that is Cain and Abel, understood something. And what they understood is that the essence of worship concerned what they brought. Um, 
as they engage and enter a worship event, they realize, although, as I said, Cain brought the wrong thing, they realize that the heart and soul, um, the guts, if you will, the heart and soul of their worship was in the act of bringing. Now, that's very important that you get that. <coughs> that you notice, in fact, I, under, I underline it in my Bible, in verse 3, that Cain brought an offering. And then in verse 4, Abel also brought. So they know that when it comes to worship, the key issue is what you bring. Not what you get, but what you bring. Now, if we were to contrast that with modern worship, we would have to change things. We would particularly have to change the verb. That verb about brought or bringing. We don't, uh, we don't need that verb to describe a modern worship, that is the worship of Jack and Jill, because um, today, in the mind of Jack and Jill, worship is something that you go to. Worship is something that you attend. <coughs> um, worship is... Um, we would have to say it like this. <clears throat> Jack and Jill came to worship. Or Jack and Jill went to worship or went to a worship service. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if, you, um, if you've followed me that far, what I'm saying is that the, that the primary verb in the worship that you see taking place here is the verb brought. And the primary verb descriptive of worship today is not that word, bringing, brought. It's the word going, coming, or I went to worship. Now, with that in mind, with that paradigm in mind, I've got several issues that I'd like for us to look at as we compare and contrast those two. Okay? I hope you're still with me. I want you to see some implications of those two approaches to worship. You got Cain and Abel's approach, and you got Jack and Jill's. And I want you to see some implications of their approach to worship. Number one, um, let's look at how it would affect one's sense of obligation. That is, in this whole event of worship, let's examine for a moment uh, the difference between how the two of them, or the four of them, view their obligation. Now, it's very clear that Cain and Abel see their sense of obligation uh, as, as having been fulfilled in what they bring. That is, they define obligation in terms of bringing something. Pretty clear. Uh, you know, I'm not adding too much to that text, I don't think. But um, Jack and Jill, they, um, they understand their obligation a little bit differently. Their obligation has nothing to do with anything they bring. Their obligation is simply in the fact of the going. If they define, I mean, if they, if they go to worship, then all sense of obligation is removed. 
because they went. Now, for Cain and Abel, they, their obligation is something having to do with what they brought. They realize that the act of worship is bringing something along with them or, or giving. Um, and that is central in their minds to this event called worship. That is in Cain and Abel. Whereas Jack and Jill, they haven't realized that yet. And... Um, um, they go to worship not prepared to give anything. Now, they're prepared. They're prepared to get. But they're not prepared to give anything. Their duty, that is Jack and Jill's duty, was completely fulfilled in the fact that they went to worship. As long as I go, that's all I need to do. Not only that, Jack and Jill, by their emphasis on going, are implying that they are the ones to whom things must be brought. Um, they expect a good sermon comfortable chairs with wide aisles, enjoyable music, and certainly a comfortable temperature. Because you see, for Jack and Jill, the emphasis is, is on going. That's all it is. And so, if it's on going, then when I get there, my obligation has been completed and others' obligation has just begun. And so... I am the one, as I sit in my comfortable chair, to whom things need be brought. Cain and Abel, on the other hand, are focused on the one to whom they must bring their offering. <coughs> They're concerned <clears throat> that the one that receives their offering is pleased by the offering that they brought. They're concerned that they be pleasing. They're not concerned that they be pleased. They are very concerned that they, in their act of worship, that they be pleasing. But they're not concerned about being pleased. Now, um, it's obvious, I, I hope, uh, to you that um, if Cain and Abel are planning to bring something uh, to the worship, to their worship, they must first prepare. That is, they must take steps that will ready them um, for this worship event. And that preparation is going to require uh, certain sacrifices on their parts as they make sure that their offering is acceptable and that they can participate in the worship event rightly. But for, um, for Jack and Jill, um, no preparation need be made. No, no sacrifice um, need be uh, conducted. And nothing is required because their, their presence at the event 
is viewed by them to be fully adequate. As long as I'm there, as long as I went, as long as I go, I have been at the worship service. And that's enough. As far as preparation is concerned, um, Jack and Jill do expect some preparation, but simply not by them. The, uh, the preparation must be made on their behalf because um, if they're going to come, they, uh, they have certain expectations about what they're going to hear and what they're going to see and what they're going to do. And, very honestly, um, Jack and Jill feel very strongly about this, that um, if there has been no preparation made for them, um, they won't come again because the preparations were not made in, in view of their attendance. Now, um, let's also, secondly, compare Jack and Jill and Cain and Abel uh, on the basis of performance. Let's talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> um, Cain and Abel realize that they are the performers. They go to this worship event realizing that the performance that's going to take place is the performance that they perform. And, um, and that by their performance, they will be evaluated by the audience. Um, as to what they bring, how they brought it, that's very important because as, as participants, um, this is the one thing that, um, that, that, that they know that they must do in this worship service is bring their offering and what they bring and how they bring it um, is, is the very essence of what they're doing. But they understand that their performance is the thing that is the focus um, of, the, of the audience in the worship service. Now, Jack and Jill don't see it quite like, like that today. Um, they regard themselves as the audience. That is, and, and by virtue of the fact that they are the audience, they then are equipped for um, and qualified to evaluate and to critique and to measure and judge and approve or reject or applaud or complain of the event to which they have come. The, um, the performers for Jack and Jill are up on the stage. And um, their performance, that would be me, their performance is the issue, not Jack and Jill's. Now, um, one can also see, I think, uh, in the text, that um, Cain and Abel, having defined themselves as the performers, they are keenly aware of the audience that is someone other than themselves. Um, guys, any cursory reading of this text will, will demonstrate very easily um, that their audience, in their mind, is the Lord God. Uh, they're, they're bringing something to Him. And um, they realize that He's the audience who does indeed, that is, this audience does indeed evaluate the two of them. Honestly, one of them passed. One of them didn't pass. But they bring to him because they understand that they're their performance and he's the audience. Jack and Jill, on the other hand, 
um, have limited their performance to their coming. Nothing beyond their attendance matters to them. Now, let me speak <coughs> thirdly about this audience. Let's um, compare the two approaches to worship concerning the audience. Um, not, not much needs to be said here because I've already implied, I think, some things. I hope that you've stayed with me. Because um, Jack and Jill very clearly consider themselves uh, and the others that came with them um, to be the audience. While Cain and Abel um, consider very clearly the audience to be the Lord God himself. In fact, if you look at verse 3, it simply says, uh, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. They understand that their bringing is, is important. What they're bringing is important because the audience to whom it is brought is the Lord. But now, Jack and Jill don't see it that way. Jack and Jill understand that the audience is themselves and the others who came with them. But if I, if I could take that just a, a couple of steps further. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if one misdefines who the audience is, if you misdefine that, uh, a lot of things go haywire. A lot of things are affected if you misdefine who the audience is. Uh, for instance, in uh, Jack and Jill's mind, because they are the audience, their opinions are very, very important. But in Cain and Abel's mind, because God is the audience, they're not concerned one whit about their opinions. They're concerned about God's opinions. Because you see, the very definition of an audience is that the audience is to be pleased. Because if the audience is not pleased, um, well, today if the audience is not pleased, you know, uh, the crowds will be small and um, the, uh, the uh, ratings will go down, the money will stop flowing in. But see, to Jack and Jill, the worship event is just another of many opportunities to be a consumer. It's like a Redbirds game or, a, you know, going to the Orpheum. It's just another chance for me to go and be a part of an audience. And, and as a part of that audience, I am there to be pleased. My opinions matter, and I will leave to critique and evaluate. But to Cain and Abel, being a consumer hasn't crossed their minds. <laughs> oh, they're consumed, all right. But they're consumed with a concern. A concern that the audience of one, God, that that audience be pleased with what they bring. They understand very clearly that every participant in a worship service is being watched. And every participant in that worship service is not only being watched, he is being evaluated. 
He is not doing the evaluating. He is being evaluated. They understand that every worshiper is being critiqued. Not that they're critiquing, but that they're being critiqued. They're, um, they understand clearly that every worshiper and all of the acts of his worship is being watched and scrutinized. But they also know that they aren't the ones doing the watching and the scrutinizing. So, um, they know that there's some opinions that matter, but it's not their opinions. The opinion that really matters is the opinion of the audience. But you see, if you misdefine the audience, all kinds of things goes awry. Let's, um, let's compare Cain and Abel and Jack and Jill with one other thing. Um, the offering that they bring. Um, you know, the text says that both of them brought an offering. Um, and the Hebrew word that is translated offering is a word that is often translated tribute. In fact, you may remember um, in our study of Judges, chapter 2, where, where um, one of the deliverers, brought tribute to Eglon, that's that guy. Remember, they brought, they brought tribute. You know what a tribute is. Um, um, at least I hope. The point is that tributes, a, a tribute is what an inferior brings to a superior. Um, now, let me make a quick observation, um, and it's a simple one that the existence of a tribute merely underscores the necessity of bringing. <laughs> you see, tributes aren't things that you go to. Tributes aren't things that you attend. Tributes are things that you bring. So they brought a tribute, and a tribute just underscores the fact that they're bringing. Um, <clears throat> but, secondly, tributes are brought because the tribute bringer is aware of the duty of his doing so. That is, the tribute bringer is aware that his position is one in which tribute is owed. He is um, not only very conscious that his position is one of inferiority, but he is also aware that his superior deserves tribute. The, the superior deserves tribute by the nature of who he is and the position that he holds. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Cain and Abel understood that well. They understand that there's a superior and that there's an inferior, and one owes a tribute to the other, and they know who is who. And so Cain and Abel bring a tribute. Jack and Jill apparently um, don't understand this because 
because of their insistence on their right to critique and their, their, their failure to prepare and, and their um, failing to make any sacrifices, they suggest by their so doing that they are not tribute bringers, but that they are tribute receivers. Um, Jack and Jill come to the worship event with the settled conviction that this had better be good or I'm not going to waste any more of my time coming back next week. Said it a bit differently. If I'm not pleased or entertained or in some way benefited if someone doesn't bring me tribute, I'm going to go someplace where they will. I, I will not long tolerate, says Jack and Jill, a worship service where I am in not some way pleased or benefited, which makes Jack and Jill the tribute receiver, which also makes them the superior. I don't know who the inferior would be. I guess that would be me. So to allow myself to be a tribute receiver instead of a tribute giver means that I must have a certain view of myself and the position that I occupy. I am the superior, says Jack and Jill, and everything else, because it is inferior, owes me tribute. So I come to the worship event demanding and expecting somebody to bring me <coughs> tribute. Now, guys, that's the end of my comparison. It's pretty ugly, isn't it? Um, and I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, when worship gets perverted and skewed, all sorts of ugly things can happen. For instance, Cain ended up being a murderer because his worship was flawed. Gang, what is it going to take in the evangelical community of the 21st century to, to change this? What is it going to take to right this ship? Well, the first thing I think it's going to require of us is repentance. That we have turned worship into a consumer event not much different than any piece of entertainment that we might pursue. We have to ask God to forgive us that our worship in 2001 is nowhere close to what we see happening in Genesis 4. Let me tell you the second thing that I, that I want to leave you with, that I hope we can do. 
And that is change our paradigm. All right, guys, if you've never heard me say this, write this down. Here is the normal paradigm for worship that we experience today. <clears throat> Number one, the audience is the congregation. The performer is the preacher and the singers. And God exists to prompt us. That is, the preacher and the singers, so that the audience um, can get something. That is the 21st century view of worship, ladies and gentlemen. You're the audience, I'm the performer, he's the prompter. All of that is wrong. Number one, how many times have you heard me say this? There is a grand celestial audience of one. And that would be God. It's very important you get that. But this is even more important. Brother and sister, you're the performer. Every one of you. Every last one of you are performing. In fact, you are performing at this very moment. And you are being watched by your audience. I am the prompter. What I'm trying to do is, is help us all please our audience. We are being watched. We are being scrutinized. We are being critiqued. We are being evaluated. Because we are the performers. And the heart and soul of our performance has to do with what we brought. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you do get something from this worship show service. But I ain't the issue. What'd you bring today? Did you bring confession of sin? How about Thanksgiving? Praise? How about money? Did you bring some of that? Was that what you what you offered? That's an offering. But what did you bring, ladies and gentlemen? Finally, it's going to require some preparation on all of our parts. Between now and next Sunday, we got a week to get ready. To get ready for worship. I think I've told you this story before, but when, um, when my children were small, um, 
Susie would spend just about from 7 to 10 p.m. every Saturday night getting our kids ready for church. She would do their nails and do their toenails and roll their hair into these curlers that were the funniest looking things you've ever seen. She would lay out their dresses and um, make sure that everything was ready because, you know, getting kids ready for church is hard. You all know that. But everything would be ready so that we can minimize the pain. And I wasn't there. You know, I was at the church. But she would make sure that preparation went into going to worship. Now, I'll leave you with this. And guys, this summarizes a lot, just this one little question. And I, I hope it will change the way we worship. I really do. I, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not real good on a lot of occasions. You know that. So you come over here thinking... All I need to do is listen to old Dr. Young. And boy, do I disappoint you sometimes, don't I? You know what? You don't need me. I mean, uh, you certainly need a senior pastor because I need a job. But um, uh, you don't need me to worship, ladies and gentlemen. Because the key event is not coming, attending, or listening. It is bringing. Now, so when you leave, Every Sunday morning, here's the question, or let, let me just tell you what the question is not. The question when we leave on Sunday mornings is not, what did I get out of that? Or it is not to turn to your wife and say, what do you think about that? That ain't the question. You know what the question is, ladies and gentlemen, when we leave a worship service? Here it is. How'd I do? How did I do? Oh, my heavenly Father who desires and seeks worshipers, how did I do? Because, ladies and gentlemen, the heart and soul of worship is my performance. What I brought. What I gave him. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not the seeker. He is. And he seeks worshipers. A lot to think about. And I hope it will help us as we ongoingly seek to worship him right. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do long to have the privilege of being amongst a group of people who know what it means to worship and to worship aright. Father, it will change everything. It is not workers that you seek, it is worshipers. 
It is not buildings that will glorify you. It is the worship of your people. So, Father, might you find, at least here, if not other places in the city of Memphis, might you find here a group of people who came, who come every Sunday morning bringing an offering that they will lay before the Lord. Father, for those who've attended here today and have not yet met our Savior and do not understand all of this fuss, I pray that you will give them a, a, a sense of interest and um, that you will draw them um, with curiosity to find out more about the one who has died in our place and made us new, brand new people. A Savior who, because of his death, has created a kingdom of priests. And so, Father, might this small portion of the kingdom offer you that which you so well deserve. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.